Hi, this is Gabe Moser, and you're listening to Friars on the Farm podcast. Welcome to episode 158 of, is it 158? 158, 158 yeah uh, friars on the farm podcast come to me via zoom is roy hey and it's it's not our first time but it's, it's the first not. time for some new major <laughs> leaguers such the boomer yacht rock coming in hot oh, oh yeah i love that stuff yeah. well i mean and, and today you know before we even get started today we just ended the uh the one o'clock game with Mackenzie gore's first uh second start and he got his first major league win yes congratulations and uh, we'll get more into that a little bit later on. But le- leading off, um, let's, let's talk about his first one. Kyle Glazer from Baseball America was there. And as was I, as was Roy. Um, and it was, a, I mean, it was a Friday. So it was incredibly festive. But it was just like you could feel the excitement for his first start uh, just in the air. You really could. Oh, yeah. Everybody was everybody knew. And we've all waited so long. For him to finally come back, you know, seeing him kind of fall off and everybody's kind of doubting, well, is he ever going to be the guy that we thought he was going to be? And now he finally appears to be that. So now today we saw his second start. Uh, I think he was a little sharper than his first one. Maybe the command yeah. wasn't as good, but the breaking right. stuff was better. Right. I it is fantastic start. So Kyle Glazer wrote an article uh, called after two years of trials and tribulations, Mackenzie Gore finally reaches the majors. When Mackenzie Gore took the mound for the Padres at Petco park on Friday night, it was more than just the major league debut of a long heralded prospect. It was a return to prominence for a talented young pitcher whose career had been in a free fall for the better part of two years. And another sign that maybe just maybe the version of Gore that was once the best pitching prospect in baseball is back. Gore pitched 5.1, five and a third innings with three hits and two runs allowed in a sharp big league debut against the Braves, taking a no decision and a five and two loss for the Padres. And I was bummed that they wound up yeah. giving that game up. I, yeah. When he left, it was a, a no decision kind of a situation. Right. Uh, but even if he doesn't get the win, you still, you know, you want to see the guy, you know, you want to see the team win your first start. Right. And he was going against Kyle Wright, who was drafted three picks after him, two picks after him. Okay, yeah, and Hunter Green also made his debut, and he was in that same yeah. draft as well. Yeah, Hunter Green was one one, and uh, you know, and it goes to show you that he can major leaguers can time a bullet if they can. Um, and I watched a little bit of that his first start, and it was uh, God Green just he just throws BBs. Yeah, but you know, it was kind of it was very interesting kind of little thing that was uh, wasn't talked about too much. Um, I God, I was I, I was so nervous. I, I don't know why I had so much projecting how I feel onto someone I've only met a couple of times. You know what I mean? I have no, really no connection to, but just like, you know, cause you want the kid to do so well. You, you've, you've watched him grow up. You've watched him stumble. You've watched all of this, you know, and the incredible amount of pressure that is given to the, you know, the organization's top pitching prospect. And for so long, and like it, that, that track was on track. And we've said this before it, he was on track. And then all of a sudden just fell right off the cliff. Right. And spring training is great comes back super strong. Oh my God, he's back. But once you get in between the lines of a legal major league baseball game, when it really counts, you really don't know what to expect. And most of the time, and you saw a little bit of with him in that first start, the nerves, but I think he held himself really well. Just once you get that first out, once you get the first swing and miss the first strikeout, 
um, he kind of relaxed a little bit and and was able to just, you know, deal with what he had, which was just his fastball. Right. And he's, he struck out the first guy he faced, Ozzie Albies, who's a very good contact hitter. Yeah. He's not somebody that strikes out a lot. Uh, so that told me that he was comfortable. But even before that, so as you know, we sit by the bullpen yeah. and we love to watch the guys warm up. Um, and what stood out to me was just his body language. He looked just relaxed. Like this was routine, a, a normal pregame routine for him. He didn't look like he had the jitters. Like I remember when Reese Kinnear came up and made his first start, his eyes were like saucers. And yeah. I've seen that on a couple of guys yeah. when they're in the bullpen <laughs> and they're, and they get called and bullpen coach says, okay, you get up and they get that look in their eye. There was none of that with McKenzie. He just looked no. normal, relaxed, cool. And when he was doing his warmups, everything was you know, the location looked good. Yeah. The breaking stuff was, you know, everything was moving for him. It just, it looked like a normal, somebody, uh, somebody getting loose on a, you know, of a, a, uh, experienced veteran starter, not somebody who's about to go out and make his first career appearance. Absolutely. So it was a return to prominence for a talented young pitcher whose career had been, and well, you've read that part, Gore pitched five and in third innings. Thank you very much. This is what happens. We go on the tangents. Uh, Gore pitched five and a third innings with three hits and two runs allowed in a sharp big league debut against the Braves, taking a no decision in the five to two loss. Now the home run was a no doubter. Fine. It's major league. It's the world. You know, it's, it's a major league team, pretty solid lineup. Home run was fine. The, uh, the, the ball that just landed really just inside the fair line uh, from Ozuna um, was almost like, I really think those are accidents. It's like it just happened to drop in. If it wouldn't have dropped in, I think he could have got him out and could have got away with a one zero, you know, and maybe it's a different ball game. I, I wonder if giving up the home run kind of takes some of the pressure off right. in a sense, right. uh, like how a football player says they don't really get going until they take their first shot, their, their first hit. Right. Or like you get your, your brand new car and you're like, oh my gosh, this thing has to be perfect. Then there's one little tiny ding and it's like, okay, now it's my car. You know, it's right. I, I wonder if there was some of that, like the ball goes out. Yeah. You want to go out and shut everybody down, but you just turn around and start throwing strikes again. Absolutely. So facing the defending world champions, Gork worked quickly and efficiently pounding 94, 98 mile an hour fastballs in the, in the strike zone and throwing 44 of his 73 pitches for strikes. That's a little bit of the nerves, old 30 balls or so there. Uh, he walked two, struck out three, and showed his, it off his athleticism by snagging a pair of comebackers to the mound. I, he's People said in today's start, it looked like he was getting squeezed a little bit. Yeah. And I wonder if there's some of that where he's trying to be a little bit fine around the edges rather than just trusting right. the stuff and pounding a little bit, you know, not saying throw it down Main right. Street, but right. don't try to nibble, you know, take a, a third of the plate rather than the very edge. Yeah, Anyways, and still, yeah, absolutely. And still trying to figure like it's still it's a major league team. It's a major league strike zone, you know, and so you're facing these real guys. So you do want that. You're trying to find the location with your off speed pitches. Um, certainly, you know, if he didn't get the calls today and that's and that's to be expected, you know, with the, with the major league strike zone. Right. So he struck out the first batter of his major league career when he got Ozzy Albee swinging through an elevated 96 mile an hour fastball. <laughs> that pitch was like up by his eyes. Yeah. He worked out of trouble with runners on, inducing a pair of double play balls and keeping the ball on the ground with seven ground outs to only two flyouts. He eliminated hard contact aside from an Albee solo home run in the third and responded by striking out Albee's a second time to lead off the sixth. He got swinging strikes with his fastball and slider and called strikes with his curveball, even while utilizing a fastball heavy mix. And as noted, that fastball heavy mix was probably because he, he didn't have the, 
the command, the action yeah. on his breaking stuff that he would have liked. But that's one thing about having the kind of repertoire that he does. And Joe Musgrove, similar kind of a guy that if it's not moving, he can rely on that fastball. Yeah. But if the fastball command isn't quite right, then he's got the breaking stuff that he can fall back on. If the slider's not working, throw more change-ups. Yeah, that, that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, in that the, the first start against the Braves, he didn't have, I mean, he had the fat, that was it. He had a, 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 a breaking ball out of the zone. Okay. There's my breaking ball. Try to hit the fastball. He had nothing except the fastball and that first outing and just blue guys off the, you know, just blue guys out of the box. And today much, much, a little bit better command. He had two, two walks. He went to some really deep counts. And at times he, I think he sailed a couple to the backstop. I got, uh, I was able to watch the game today. Um, which was nice. Um, and still, it just carved up the Reds lineup. And, um, you know, that's a tough, well, it's, it's a tough Reds team because it's just so decimated with any, uh, you know, discernible talent. And Joey Votto, um, I, I wish we had a little sound for like the Joey Votto that we never do to strike out has like eight strikeouts in this four-game series or this three-game series. It's been- right. Well, he's not that guy anymore. Now he's, he's admitted that he's selling out a little bit for more power because he understands that he's, he as a ball player has changed. His skill set has changed and he's adjusted. Uh, But still he's going to go into the hall of fame someday. And there's Mackenzie Gore getting him out consistently. Absolutely. And and so even with a little bit better stuff and we haven't really seen the best that he can do, we haven't seen it. Wait till this guy has a few more starts. He's kind of finding his rhythm, kind of finding the release point in all these pitches when later down on the road, when we need him against the Dodgers, against some of these division rivals, um, against some of these, you know, some of these later season games where we are maybe a couple games in or a couple games out, you know, where it kind of really, really matters. So it's just going to be phenomenal. Like we're going to need him to be absolutely nails come the end of the season, hopefully into the playoffs. Okay. So along those lines in the post game today, somebody asked Bob Melvin about how the rotation is going to line up. Um, you know, for the next couple turns through. And his answer was, I just want to get to the off day. They've played 14 games straight. Tomorrow is the first off day that they've had this season. Uh, So um, uh, Clevenger just pitched a rehab appearance yesterday and (laughs) Snell's been thrown on the side. So now what happens when those guys come back? One of those guys come back, then there's, there's five, two of them come back. Uh, So there's six. Yeah, so the, the Both first those, one comes right. back. I figure Nick Martinez goes to the bullpen, and then maybe Pedro Avila or somebody goes gets to you know, gets uh, gets optioned down. Uh, but I'm really curious to see how long they keep McKenzie up. As long as he's performing like this, it's kind of hard to not keep him up. But you got all these veteran arms that kind of command the role. I, um, you know, if he gets three or four starts in. I would be okay with, you know, I mean, like, and I think Melvin has said it, it's based on performance. Um, if they do send him down after three or four starts, uh, four or five starts, or if he piggybacks behind one of these guys, if, if Cleverage's, you know, I think he pitched through 48 uh, in-game pitches last night. It looked like he was walking out to the bullpen uh, in between yeah. innings. They so he said he threw, threw another, another, he threw another 12. They wanted to get him at 60. Right. So that's maybe three innings, maybe four innings. If he's efficient uh, in a big league game, uh, so I see maybe, I, I, you know, I don't know. Maybe they do kind of keep him piggybacking or have him piggyback with Clevenger. McKenzie Gore, that is, sorry. Well, it'd be interesting. 
Inquiring minds want to know. You know, and I was watching that game. I caught a little bit of that game last night. And God, Cleveranger was wearing his brown Padre pants with that margarita's jersey god it was just i mean from the bad video that you have from the el paso chihuahua feed you're like oh that just looks gross that must be really bad when you see it up close well as as ugly as all that was it sure was pretty seeing him on the mound throwing full effort and looking filthy up there so i'm one thing that we have that i've been appreciating the last few days that we haven't had in as long as i can remember is the depth that you go yeah. and you look at these depth charts and you can run like 10 guys deep in the minors and look at them and go, okay, yeah, that guy could come up and make a couple starts if they really needed somebody to. Yeah. So yeah, there are all question marks with the guys on the major league roster, but so far everybody's showing the the stamina, the efficiency. And if a couple of guys go down, there's plenty of people down there in the, in the minors to step up. Oh, and along those lines, we don't have this on our notes, but today there were rehab appearances from Adrian Morahone, yep. Michelle Baez, yep. and Efren Contreras in the Arizona uh, extended spring training. Yep. And then uh, Reggie Lawson is on the mound for San Antonio tonight. Tonight, I think probably right now as we record at 522 Pacific time. And thank you, Jerry Espinoza, the photographer uh, who is long, ter- long, long time Cali League photographer, um, tweeted out those videos of bias pitching and all the information that that we just told you guys today. So thanks, Jerry Espinoza. He gives a lot of, you know, he's now finally credited with Major League Baseball. So he is getting paid um, probably better than he was before in, in the past. And um, this is a phenomenal photographer. And thank you for that. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, uh, Reggie is on the mound as we speak. Okay, good, 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 good. You uh, you have that on there. I have the agenda here. Maybe you have that on there to see if he does. Uh, yeah, I pulled the I just had the game, the game day up to see what's right. going on. I'll check right. in as we go. Well, let's move on to the first time CJ Abrams first career home run. One to remember another, you know, Kyle Glazer uh, was there again. So C.J. Abrams insisted he wasn't nervous. His manager saw otherwise. Whatever Abrams was feeling when he stepped into the plate for his first career at bat at Petco Park on Thursday night, there was no doubting the emotion he was feeling by the end of it. Joy. Pure, unadulterated joy. Abrams, the number nine prospect in the Baseball America Top 100, hit his first career home run in his first career at bat at Petco Park in front of a sellout crowd for the Padres' home opener. Helping the Potters to a 12-1 win over the Braves. Could you was, write it any better than that? That's like a fairy tale book right there. Absolutely. Uh, and we'll get into whether, you know, we'll get into more about him uh, a little bit later on here. But leading off the second inning against the veteran Braves right-hander Charlie Morton, who was just is just had a bad outing, but is a certified ace, I feel. I feel from him. Absolutely. Abrams drove a 0-1 fastball off the outside corner, 360 feet the other way over the short wall in left field for his first career homer. It snapped a one for 14 slump and gave the Padres number one prospect the first signature moment of his burgeoning major league career. Just running around the bases. I felt super light. Abrams said everybody was loud. I enjoyed it. Abrams 21 was a surprise addition to the opening day roster after playing just 76 career games in the minor leagues including only 42 at double-A and none at triple-A. Fernando Tatis Jr.'s off-season wrist injury created an opportunity for Abrams to make the roster, and the 2019 first-round pick took advantage by batting 324, 359, 514 in spring training to win a spot. 
Yeah, and it with a, I think with a couple of Arizona home runs, but still getting having a really strong spring and showing some early power. Uh, and the injury to Fernando certainly gets him on the uh, on the major league roster. Now, since then, you know he got an RBI single today, and uh, you know there at times his at bats that you know obviously if, if Fernando was hit healthy, he would be in AAA right now getting the development that I think he needs. But if he's going to be up here, Bob Melvin, much to his credit, and much to his credit with Mackenzie Gore, when he took him out after an in, you know, after one out, allowed the crowd to kind of show their appreciation with a start, is giving CJ plenty of opportunities to just kind of work through it, you know? Right. And, and at times he does look overmatched, and at times they're like, woof. Um, and I think that that's okay. It's just you can see a lot of um, – a, a, a lot more work needs to be done with him to reach his full potential because he's going to be a, I think he's going to be an impact major leaguer. We think he's going to be a major in, in a major league impact player. Thank you. Um, it's just, it, it might take a little more time. Well, he's so young and he's yeah. so green, uh, but he looks great on defense. He hasn't yeah. looked overmatched on the defensive side at all. No. Uh, you know, he's made every play that's come to him. Um, even being asked to go out and play a little bit of right field. He's handled that just, just fine. Uh, I, I, I hope that what they're seeing in the clubhouse and during, you know, when they're taking infield and all that stuff, that it's the same kind of thing that he just, he looks like he belongs. Maybe it's a matter of the game slowing down a little bit, yeah. uh, but you, there's no replacement for, for reps for, right. for at bats. Right. So learning the, the finer nuances of plate discipline and, and all this and when to be aggressive and, and all of that, that's going to come, it's going to yeah. take time. And so, yeah, everybody wants to see him play more. Everybody wants to see uh, a Hassan Kim start every day. They're kind of in a platoon of sorts. Yeah. Uh, but Bob Melvin's doing a pretty good job of, of spreading the work around. The last couple of guys, we've a couple of days, we've seen some guys take some days off. Will Myers missed a couple of days with a thumb yeah. injury. Uh, Manny Machado got the day off today in the field. He DH'd. So we saw Hassan Kim fly it over to third. Yep, Grish took a day off. So another rookie, Jose Azokar, has gotten an opportunity to make a, a start or two. Uh, he got his first major league hit. He got his first major league RBI. And I'm so happy for him. I followed him on Instagram for a while. Uh, his wife and his little kid, he just has a he has a little baby, and they're, uh, they're they seem like awesome people. He's a but it's funny, you look at him, he looks like a very, very young Cuba Gooding Jr. Like a very young <laughs> What like when like kind Cuba of a Gooding round when he was sitting in the barber's chair and coming to America? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like that young, um, absolutely. And and uh, this is just shows the the mature, the, just the the veteran leadership that you get out of Bob Melvin. It's allowing that to happen. I mean, mm -hmm. not being afraid to let those guys get a couple, you know, a couple games in a row. Well, um, he's not a baby. He's twenty five. He's been around. The Padres picked him up as a minor league free agent a while ago. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's not like he's just brand new. Uh, he's been waiting a while to get this opportunity. In fact, I believe it was it last year. There was an interview with, um, ah, the manager in triple a, uh, well, back then was it Eric young? No, no. Youngie? Before him, the, mm, he was the manager at Lake Elsinore for a while. His name's well, escaping me from, from Puerto Rico. Anyway, I, he said that he, one day he's going to have an opportunity and he's going to stick in the major leagues for a while. Yes. And I also forgot the manager of the storm who was back there in uh, when McKenzie was pitching back in, in Lake Elsinore. Rodriguez, Edwin Rodriguez, Edwin Rodriguez. That's is the man. Who you, is who you're talking about. The yes, other one. He's, he's seen a lot of baseball. Yeah, absolutely. But let's 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 keep it going with the minor league stuff. And this is incredibly interesting because it is coming hot and fast. 
to the major leagues, the new rules that uh, that have been implemented in the minor leagues. Yes, this is fantastic news that they're enforcing rules and it's working. Yeah, I, I've seen a couple times. So the pitch clocks, this is by J.J. Cooper from Baseball America. New rules dramatically speeding up MILB games. Pitch clocks have been a part of the multiple levels of the minor leagues for a number of years, but enforcement has been somewhat lax and players have regularly figured out workarounds to take more time. Now, the, the one tin caps game I saw, I saw pitchers get marked with, with balls and I've seen batters get marked for strikes. Good. For not, for not pitching. It, within limits or within time, and then a player has nine seconds to get in the box. I believe it's nine seconds to get in the box, and uh, I can't think it might have been the Lansing Lugnuts that the kid took too long, and he's like, hey. like what, what just happened? Yeah, And, you know, John Nolan's like, well, looks like he got a, you know, a pitch clock violation or a batter's, I don't know what they call it when the batter's a batter's box violation. Yeah. Uh, so they're, they're enforcing it, and it's working. So last night saw a stricter enforcement of pitch but- clocks. Go ahead. We saw a little bit of that in the major league game the other day with Kenley Jansen. That was entertaining because I was watching on TV. I didn't really know what was going on. There was this argument happening. And then later I found out that the, so Kenley Jansen comes out to do his warm up pitches for the Braves as the closer. Right. And apparently he takes his time walking in from the bullpen. So he got, he got three pitches in and then the umpire steps in front of the plate and yep, that's it. You're done. And there was an argument. But what happened was he took so long to come in that he didn't have enough time to get his whatever eight pitches he's he's supposed to be allotted because there is a set time window for the commercial break or whatever between innings. So by him doing that, people are like, oh, it's another up show and he's just delaying things. No, he's sending the message that, look, we're paying attention. You need to get to the mound in a reasonable amount of time and get your work in. We got let's keep the show going. And so I. Kenley Jansen's going to come jogging in next time. And hopefully everybody else saw that and said, all right, we're going to take it serious. And so that's what we're seeing with this uh, article here in the minors. Yeah. So a new stricter enforcement of pitch clocks, 14 seconds with bases empty and 18 seconds with runners on base Add rules that require hitters to remain in the batter's box began to be enforced around the minors. And while it's only day one of a season long experiment, the results were dramatic. On the first day of enforcement, the new rules appeared to cut more than 25 minutes from the average game time. Now, I love baseball. It's the only sport I follow. It's the only, like, I could watch it all day. Three-hour games are just way too long. I, you know, the three-hour, 315, 320, uh, you know, the Yankees <laughs> used to be a joke that the Yankees and Red Sox game were like four-hour affairs. It's like, come on, guys. It's like a three-to-two uh, three game, and it takes right. four hours for them to play. Well, and so the Padres, they're starting their games a half an hour sooner because the public said, at least for the weeknight games, yeah. we don't want to be going to a seven o'clock game, getting out at 10, 30, 11 o'clock, yeah. having to drive home, get up and go to work in the morning. Yeah. And then similarly, if I'm going to drive up to Lake Elsinore, usually the games we go to are the weekday games, which I think are usually starting around six o'clock. Yeah. Then, okay, so the game runs until whatever, 9, 30, 10 o'clock, and then we've got to drive home, yeah. and then I go to work the next day. It just makes for a long, you really have to think about it. If they can shorten that just a little bit, but then also it keeps the action moving on the field. There's something to watch. Yeah. There's something to keep you engaged. I mean, it's like being a, a defender. You're standing out there in right field, and you start you know, picking at the dandelions while the uh, the pitcher's up there walking around the mound, and the umpire, the the batter stepping off, messing with his gloves. And, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, keep it moving, man. So, I mean, even so last year, or every, anytime during the games that we went to on Monday or Tuesday nights, I we have to leave in the 
seventh, eighth inning because I get up at five in the morning. Well, a couple of seasons ago, I was getting up at four thirty. Um, so I'm like, here, win or lose, seventh inning, eighth inning. I'm like, okay, we got to go. It's you know, it's nine thirty. Uh, I'm already pressing, you know, ten o'clock to get to bed. Um, Monday night, we were able to watch the whole game, kind of hang out for a few minutes and let the uh, let the crowd disperse. Got home, got in bed a little after ten o'clock, and was able to turn the lights out at the ten thirty. Yeah, and that's yeah. phenomenal. There was a game that we left early. And as we're driving back, we find out that Joshua Mears hit a nuke that, right. you know, went, you know, almost to the next county. They're like, man, everybody's talking about it on Twitter the next day. Yeah. Like, I was there, but I left. Yeah. So last night came uh, last, last night across the minors. The average game time of a nine inning game was two hour and 38 minutes and median time was two hour and 34 minutes. For the previous week of games, the average game time for a nine-inning game was three hours and four minutes, and the median game time was two hours and 59 minutes. Uh, that 304 average game time was right in line with last year's pace. In 2021, AAA nine-inning games took three hours and four minutes on average. AA games took two hours and 57 minutes. High A, 304, and low A took three hours. That's very consistent across all the levels. Absolutely. Data on MILB average game times goes back to 2005. Last night's average of two point, uh, you know, two hours and thirty-eight minutes across the full minors is faster than the average nine-inning game time for any level in any year since measurements began since the beginning of time. Time, time, time. At the major league level, the last time the average nine-inning game was less than two hours and thirty-eight minutes was nineteen eighty-five. I went to a game with uh, Jake Peavy pitching against uh, Roger Clemens, and that was about a two and a half hour game. Like those guys worked. And it was a two one. I think we won two to one, or we lost three to two, or whatever. But that was game was like done in a blink of an eye. They those guys worked so fast. Yep, I went to a game in Seattle. It was Felix Hernandez, and I want to say it was Kyle Loesch of the of the Twins. Two hours and five minutes. I want to say the score was two to one, but it was just right. get the ball, get the sign, Chris. throw the ball, and it yeah. just kept moving. And you, but for, you turn around like, holy cow, it's the seventh inning already. Now, you know, the traditionalists are going to go, well, we don't need a time clock. We don't need to be told what to do. Or, you know, it's just it's baseball. Don't you want to watch it? Absolutely. But particularly during the season when families have to go, they have to go early. Um, it's also to attract younger viewers that are like baseball so long and boring. Well, now it's a little bit less long and certainly isn't boring for me. Like I, I, every pitch I'm on the on the edge of my seat because you just that's what I do. Right. We're fans. Right. Absolutely. Okay. So in the past, when MLB or MILB has instituted these kinds of changes, the reductions in game time have slowly eroded. But if Friday is any indication, MILB games this year will be the fastest pace they've been in at least a generation. So that's I think that's so right now they're setting the tone. They're they're establishing the rules and they're now they just need to continue enforcing them throughout. So a few years ago, MLB decided that they would put into place that rule that they can't leave the box. Well, not put into place. They would start enforcing the rule that they're supposed to stay in the box or at least keep yeah. one foot in the box. And for a year, the game times went down. And then the year after that, they, they quit uh, regulating that, enforcing that rule. And the times went right back where they were and right. kept on going right. up. So right. it's a matter of being consistent with your, with your enforcement. Along with uh, coming in next year is the snow shift, um, the larger bases. Um, I was watching the Tin Caps game earlier this uh, this week, and the guy threw over twice. And, you know, he didn't have to throw over that third time where the runner can just take off because he knew he couldn't go. But, like, they were talking about, it, like, okay, that's the second throw over. Um, after this next one, he's not going to be able to go over there again. 
and the the at bat kind of just played itself out. But like those are the things are the five times throwing over, and every time the fans boo, Jesus, um, that's gonna go away. So you know you're not gonna be able to throw over four times when you know he's gonna steal. Yeah, I I, I don't time. love that, and I don't love limiting the shift. But little things like the pitch the pitch clock and and mandating that they get in the box and yeah. stay there. Yeah, these are things, and these aren't. I mean, yeah, it's it's a slightly amended rule. But there's been rules about this stuff going back to like the 20s that I yeah. don't know if they used to keep a stopwatch in their pocket or something to, to keep track of this. But the rules have been in the book for decades. They just choose not to enforce them. Yeah. And if you ever watch one of those games from like the 60s, man, those things are like they get up, boss thrown, throw back to the pitcher, three, two, thrown again. Like, I mean, it's, it's yeah, really, really quick. I think, I think Randy Jones and Jim Cat played. They had a whole nine inning game that was like an hour and 15 oh, minutes. <laughs> <laughs> two guys that work fast and they're ground ball guys. They're not even throwing a lot. It's just like first pitch sinker. Okay. Second base to first base. Move on next guy. And so that's coming to major league baseball probably next year. Let's move on. Uh, here's the mad fires. Uh, so Kevin and I from mad fires went up to the media day. Um, I got a bunch of audio that will probably integrate into future episodes. Kind of some right. fun stuff. Some well, fun we stuff. haven't even gone over that about what right. media day was all about. Well, media day was fun. Uh, me and Kevin from, you know, me and Kevin drove up there. Uh, it was basically just me and him and like uh, two other photographer guys. Um, I didn't like, I had some stuff. I thought I had a lot more prepared than I did. I really went up there. I wanted to talk to um, James Wood and uh, Jackson Merrill about having a shirt put together, which they agreed to. Uh, in between that, I got some fun audio from actually from Max Ferguson, uh, Pierce Jones, a um, little bit of some questions, some Q&A with um, Lucas Dunn. Uh, with uh, with James Wood. Did you ask and... Lucas about his hair routine? Apparently he has some some lovely locks. No, but I'm like, he, he, that is a good looking kid, though. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and he's super nice. So I was really cut off guard. Um, I, I got some of that. We'll have some of that probably folded in uh, into the future episodes. It's kind of some uh, some of those quick fire questions that I would do for these guys. And some of the answers are pretty fun. But we went up there and, um, you know, Kevin had this great interview with Max and um, the game I went to the just earlier this last weekend, um, the kid got on base and he, he walked, stole second. And like before I even turned around, he stole third. Like the kid just he gets on base, gets over, gets in. He's been a menace this year. Yeah, absolutely. So this is from uh, this is from Mad Friars. So um, Jim Callis said going into uh, going into the draft, I really thought Max Ferguson could have been a first round pick. Jim Callis, our MLB pipeline, our MLB pipeline. As a part of our post-draft coverage, we had him as high as second rounder coming into the year, and I really liked his bat-to-ball skills. He's athletic, could run, can play multiple positions. There was a lot to like going into this year. So uh, when I saw him, he was playing uh, center field. Yeah, it sounds like they've had him moving between second base and center field mostly. Yeah. So this is Kevin Charity. You just wrapped up your first spring training as a professional. How was the overall experience? It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of work and it was a new experience with it being my first spring training. This group has been together for the last four weeks prior to the start of the regular season. It's a pretty good group to have fun with and it made coming to the field every day a lot better. So last season between the long college season and your professional debut, you played in over 100 games. Did you approach the offseason like you normally would or did you try to get in a little extra rest? Rest. Uh, it was my first actual off season in college. You don't really have an off season ever. So it was the first time I had time off. 
I talked to a lot of people who knew a lot about it, and their advice was to go home, take a couple of weeks off, and get back in the weight room. That was something I wanted to work on, so I got back in there. I listened to other people that had been through it, through that. Yeah, so before reading this article, I never really thought about that, that kid grows up, plays Little League, then he's playing travel ball, and then you get into high school, and it's like traveling teams, and there's never really a a time off. And then college, you're looking for a place to play summer ball, and you're you're playing throughout the whole season, and when you're not playing, you're going to school, and it's like you really don't have that time off. So it has to be a little bit of of a shift to wait, wait, okay, I can take a couple of weeks and kind of do whatever I want to do. That's a little right. different. And it's okay. Um, and yeah, and, you know, and I think as a professional, because they're you know, those seasons are so long, you do need that downtime. And even the you know, the better major leaguers take a few weeks off to just kind of like get recharged, whatever it is to heal or whatever, and then they can get at it. Well, it seems like everybody after their first year in pro, whatever level what you hear them saying is about how their body started to wear down as the season went on and how I need to prepare myself for, to be able to go through 150 plus games. Yeah. Yeah, It's something that they've never really dealt with on that level. Throughout your career, um, you've been an extremely versatile player and you've bounced around the diamond in your pro career. Is that plan going forward to have you play all over the place or have you settled into one spot? I'm sure that I will get a lot of work at second and bounce around a little bit. Everyone on our team has a lot of versatility and is able to play a lot of positions. So I'm able to fill in when we have the needs and listen to what uh, manager Eric Young tells us to do. In high school, I was an outfielder. And when I got to college, they switched me to infielder. So I played mainly infield in my time in pro ball. But when I got to like Elsinore with a couple of injuries that we had here, I played center field. I'm very comfortable in center, second, and pretty much anywhere else on the field except for catcher. Don't put me back there. <laughs> and he laughs. <laughs> so what that made me think of was when we were talking to Josh Emmerich and yeah. he, he was talking about going and seeing uh, Isa, Isaiah Kiner Falefa yeah. and how he was, he's a ball player. And that's what it sounds like with Max that, okay, he's played outfield. He's played infield. It's just like, whatever you want me to do, I'm going to do it. And you watch him on the field and he's just, it seems like he's pretty good at yeah. everything. Yeah. So I pulled up his numbers. He's getting on base out of 477 clips so far this season. He has 10 stolen bases, hasn't been caught yet. Um, Madfires pointed this out the other day that throughout all of the levels of the minors, the Padres have been very aggressive, but they've also been incredibly efficient. Their, their success rate on stolen bases is like over 90%, which is kind of ridiculous. Nice. Then they, they cover that stuff and that's organizational thing. And that's them sure they go over that extensively in spring training. Um, what, I, what I like about this, you know, and it's, it's early in their careers, you know, they're an A ball of the versatility that they're getting out of these guys, that they're playing multiple positions um, and playing them well uh, to see where they fit. And, you know, cause once it's kind of the major league, the major league game has kind of changed where you need a couple of those guys that play at three or four positions. You're Jerickson Profars. You're, um, you know, a couple of other guys that I don't want to talk about from the Dodgers that, you know, they just play every single position and, and that's, it gets you in the lineup, makes you more valuable. And, um, you know, it, it gives guys another that do normally play that position, gives them a breather. Right. And we're seeing that with CJ at the major league level that yeah. he's, he's a shortstop. He's been a shortstop, but he's started a couple of games at second base. He's been in right field and he's held his own. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So we have some bookkeeping to do. Um, I like to stay on top of transactions and, you know, see what the, the organization's doing. And this time of year, there's always a lot of action, um, you know, good and bad. 
Yeah. So the Padres signed infielder Connor Hollis. Uh, they released left-handed pitcher Sam Williams and second baseman Nafi Antunes. Uh, they traded River Ryan to the Dodgers for Matt Beatty. Uh, you know, River Ryan, we never really saw got to see. I don't think he pitched outside of the complex, but he was right. a name they drafted him last year, and that name stood out to me. River Ryan. That's just it's a cool name. Uh, they traded Victor Caratini for the Brewers for catcher Brett Sullivan and shortstop Corey Howell. Uh, Brett Sullivan has already been mashing in AAA. Yeah. Uh, he's an interesting guy to keep an eye on. Uh, they traded for Kervin Pichardo from the Phillies. And that was funny. That was when everybody was just like on the edge of their seat waiting for Preller to make the big move. And, uh, oh, we got oh, we got Pichardo. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then they uh, they traded Adrian Martinez and Uribiel Angeles two of the Padres, two guys that are on the top prospect list, yeah. the athletics for Aaron holiday and Sean Manaya. That change um, up is gone. The change. I mean, Manaya has been a, that guy is stinking rad just in between. So the game I went to on Friday, um, I sat behind, I sat in front of Mackenzie um, Gore's uh, neighbors. I wouldn't saw at, on the way to you. I, I saw the Gore family. And then after I talked to you, I, I came back through and, and introduced myself and chatted with them for a while. Then I sit down. And then the people behind us, the woman was like, oh, McKenzie, McKenzie. And I'm like, oh, like she kept calling him MK or M- MG, MG. And I'm like, hey, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm, this is who I am. This is what I do. I got a podcast. I'm big time. Whatever. It's like, <laughs> oh, what, you know, whatever. You know, I'm, I'm a friendly guy. I'll talk to a complete stranger. Um, oh, we're neighbors. And um, yeah, I'm like, oh, that's great. Blah, blah, blah. You know, and so. Manaya in between innings, Manaya just keeps looking. He keeps looking at me and he just kept looking at people. And Musgrove throws gum at people. He has like the, you know, the 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 uh, double bubble and he's throwing them through the screen and people are eating that up. And I'm like, I looked at Manaya. I'm like, hey, like after Gore got done with this and when he's taken out, I'm like, you know, give him a little, hey, go get, you know, just knock on Gore right there. And he did. And Mac turned back and I kind of, I, pointed to them behind me and they're like, Hey, and he totally big leagued them. <laughs> and I'm like, you just big leagued your neighbors. Come well, on. They're going to go out to dinner after the, right, after right. the game anyway, but, but it's super cool. Yeah, that is Sean and I, yeah, similar thing. So we sit up by the bullpen, right. And all the starting pitchers come out and they come up while somebody's warming up. So when, uh, when Darvish started, I was wearing my shirt that says, I heart you. My sister gave it to me for, for my birthday a couple years ago. Uh, and and Manaya, he like pumped up his shirt and pointed at me. Uh, you know, I just I like the guys that interact with people yeah. like yeah. Snell's over there signing for everybody and, and yeah. hamming it up. And uh, uh, um, uh, Nabil Chrismat, he's one of the nicest guys you're going to come across. And he loves giving big old handfuls of gum to the kids. But he makes them reach their little fingers through the net and try <laughs> to get it. Right. And they can only fun, take fun so many, game. right? You can only yeah, can. they can get like, like two or three at a time. And he's like, I've got 20 pieces of gum here. How are you going to get it? It's funny. But yeah, no, I love Sean. I've liked Sean Maniah from afar for a long time. So it's great to see him. And in his first couple of starts, he's exactly what I saw in Oakland. Yeah. Fastball pounding it in the zone. He's got yeah. that sinker. That's just nasty. And it's just, he just goes up there and throws. He's, he's a workhorse. And that's really what, in my opinion, that's what this pitching staff needed. Cause you've got the, the ACE caliber kind of guys when Musgrove's on, he's dominant and you've got Darvish and Snell and now Gore, but 
all of these guys have some kind of little question mark about injury or maybe they're on the way up. You don't know how much you can rely on them. And so then you plug somebody like that in there and it's like, this guy's going to go out and give you 180 innings. He's going to give you five plus innings to start that stabilizes everything so much. So at least 20 odd quality starts, you know, depending on the, yeah. So giving up Adrian Martinez and Uribe Alangelis is a pretty big cost. Uh, Adrian Martinez was on the 40-man roster. He was kind of on the doorstep of contributing yeah. this year. And Angelis made a name for himself last year and just hitting everywhere. Um, they list him as a second baseman on the on the transaction sheet, but he can play anywhere. Yeah, he's um, in the Midwest League. Yeah, yeah, he was just playing against the the tin, the caps. tin caps. Yeah, um, and then Aaron Holiday. I understand that he's got one of these guys, electric arm, can touch triple digits, command issues. You know, you're kind of stereotypical uh, pitching prospect. Right. Um, so you get your your workhorse starting pitcher, and then you get a lottery ticket along with it. And so Manaya's here for a year, but already the the fans love him. So yeah. people are talking about a Musgrove extension, but people are also looking at him going, maybe we should toss some money Sean Manaya's way. Absolutely. And we're not going to be able to sign all these guys. Um, so we'll, we'll see how that kind of plays out. But yeah, so so moving on to the, some of these, they released Daniel Camarena, Daniel, the time with the Padres and Daniel Slamarena has come yeah. to an end. Yeah. And friend of the podcast, Taylor Lomack. Was yeah, released. Taylor. Yeah. So that's that's always sad to see, you know, and you never know when somebody's career is coming to an end or if they're going to go look for other opportunities. Right. Um, so Sam Williams, they released him uh, back in the end of March. And then on April 18th, just a couple of days ago, he said on on Twitter and Instagram yeah. that he's he's retiring from professional baseball. Uh, so Iron Man Dan, Dan Williams on yeah. Twitter. That's his that's Sam Williams uncle. Yeah. Um, and so it was neat when he got signed and then it's like, Hey, a mem- like he's part of the family, you know, yeah, part of the Twitter, Twitter community uh, the Padres yeah. Twitter community. And so we got to follow his adventure, you know, kind of a little bit more closer up. And when he yeah. came here to, to Lake Elsinore, I went up there and there's, there's Dan and, and his brother, Sam's dad. And yeah, it becomes a little bit more personal when you get to follow somebody's story on, yeah. on that level. Um, also, so, um, some, I'm sorry to God, I just stepped all over you. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, just, um, also, who left without not letting kind of anyone know Ethan Elliott? Oh, right, right. Yeah, that. So apparently, it's come about now that he had some kind of a shoulder injury last year. Right. Um, may I? I don't know if it was Arizona Fall League or or what. Uh, but yeah, he had some kind of a a, a shoulder injury, and I would imagine that it has to come down to that question of, okay, do I go through the surgery, the rehab, all the trials and tribulations to try to fight my way back? And even if I do, if I get back to where I was, what were my chances of actually making it versus I have another opportunity that, you know, in, in real life, not baseball to go and start a career doing something else or start a family. And there's all these things you have to weigh. So when I hear that somebody is, is retiring, even if they're, you know, on a really good trajectory, it's, it's not our place to question that or to judge it or anything like that. It's their personal life. It's their decision to make between them and their family and the people that are around them. So all of these people, I only wish them the best. Yeah, I'm grateful oh, for the things that they did with the Padres organization. And if they go catch on somewhere else and take off, good for them. And if they go become a real estate agent and, you know, make it big play, there, play right ball, right. Do that. It, it, as long as they bring that passion with them into whatever they do, you know, it, it's a successful thing. 
Um, I already saw with, Sam tweeting something about uh, about like investment trading. So I think he's that's what his uncle does. Uh, really? So I, yeah. Yeah. He's a finance guy. So oh, maybe that's where him. Sam's going to go. Dude, we might have to have him come on and just talk stonks all day. We can talk. We can talk shop all day about the stock market. You guys um, can talk shop and I'll just sit back and take notes because I'm pretty naive <laughs> when it comes to all that stuff. Um, well, just just real quick, you know, and, and with Ethan, um, well, if you guys follow our Instagram account, like you saw some of the some of the paychecks that I um, that I got permission from um, advocates from minor leaguers. Some of those paychecks were 75 bucks. 65 right. bucks, 79 well, these, bucks. These first checks that these guys are getting, it's I the think first they're for week. like a day, a right. day or two of, okay. of their time. All right. You know, that's still, like the, that's like still the your pay first cycle paycheck. started on. Yeah. Right. This still your first check is like 80 bucks. Like, what is that? That doesn't fly. Okay, doesn't cool. Fly. I can go get a couple pizzas and a right. 12 pack. <laughs> so can we now we can get into the affiliate rundown? Oh, it's been so long. I know we've almost we've clobbered almost an hour of this stuff before we got into the affiliate rundown. Holy smokes. We have a lot to catch up on. We did. We did. And uh, we appreciate you guys hanging in there. Oh, Um, I want to give a shout out to Dominic Lorenz who met up with us on opening day. Yes. Yeah. So one of our favorite people, he did everything at Lake Elsinore. Um, And now he's a he's a free agent. So if anybody out there in baseball business land needs somebody to do anything, sales, marketing, promotions, uh, stand on the sign and spin, stand on the street and spin a sign, whatever. (laughs) Dominic Lorenz, I can't say enough nice things about that guy. Absolutely. And he's not a half bad number two on the mic as well. Oh, absolutely. Yes. So going on to Lake Elsinore, where we ran into Dominic Lorenz back in the day, a strike one. We chose Mad Friars Player of the Week, Max Ferguson from Lake Elsinore. There were a few performances that were worthy of Player of the Week honors, but Max Ferguson stood out while sparking the storm to a series victory over the over Vesalia. For the week, Ferguson hit 444, 621, 556 with two doubles, five RBIs, 10 walks, and just two strikeouts and 28 plate appearances. He stole two bags when I saw him on Saturday. Uh, the versatile infielder athlete can play over the diamond, all over the diamond, and played mostly in center while James Wood has been held out of the lineup with a hand wrist issue. Through the first two weeks of the season, Ferguson ranks 11th in the Cal League in WRC Plus at 153, and his 27.5 walk rate ranks second in the circuit. He has 11 stolen bases to lead the league. So that- I just pulled up the uh, the lineup for tonight's game, and James Wood still is not in there. Yeah, yeah, I saw it earlier, um, and I asked him this weekend, and he said he's getting better, but you know, I'd, he wasn't going to tell me when he's coming back, and it doesn't really matter. No, when he comes back. He'll be ready to play, and it's going to be a blast. But oh, he's going to be—he's going to be launching nukes again. My gosh, yes. he got into a couple early on. Yeah, but Max Ferguson, this is another kid to watch out of uh, out of Lake Elsinore. We're going to go over a couple more of these guys as we get into the uh, as we get through the fil- affiliate rundown. So strike two, perhaps the biggest beneficiary of Max Ferguson's base running exploits was Lucas Dunn, who hit 364, 481, 636 with two doubles, two triples, and a staggering 12 RBI in six games. Dunn's bat was a big reason the Storm averaged over seven runs per game through the week. The former Louisville star is is tied for the lead league with 12 RBI. Though the sto- through the Storm's first two weeks, Dunn is hitting 276, 432, 483 out of the gate for the Storm. And this is a very, you know, these two guys played college ball. So they're very advanced bats for their level, I believe. Um, so they're going to dominate a little bit. There's going to be some growing pains there, but certainly they're holding their own and they're doing what they're supposed to do at this level. Yeah. And they're making storm baseball a whole lot fun to watch. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
the the double I saw from Dunn, he was playing first base that day. He hit one off the wall. He's a, he's a right-handed bat, but he hit one off the wall in the right field, in the right field monster. Oh, okay, they need, to, they need to come up with a name for that wall. They, they talked about naming it. They need to come up with a name for it. Strike three Friday in the Storm's three victories. They have scored 41 runs. And the four losses, they have tallied just 13 runs. Max Ferguson has his best game as a professional, notching a career-high four hits and scoring four runs. He collected his first extra base hit of the season, a double, to play the run in the fourth. Ferguson's big night raises batting average nearly 150 points from 158 to 292. Lucas Dunn tied a career-high with three hits, including a pair of triples in the storm victory. The Louisville product drove in a career-high six runs Friday night. Jackson Merrill let off and had three singles and a run scored. Merrill 18 has four multi-hit games and seven starts and is seven for 11 the last two nights. Merrill has yet to connect on a home run, but is sporting an excellent 394, 459, 455 slash line through his first seven games in the Cal League. A name you need to listen and keep up for is right-handed pitcher Garrett Hawkins, started for Lake Elsinore and dominated early. He struck out the side in the second and was perfect through three before allowing a leadoff single in the fourth. He allowed a pair of base runners in the fifth before being lifted with one out. Overall, he allowed a pair of earned runs with a walk and seven strikeouts. This season, the big righty has struck out 13 while walking just one batter in eight in the third innings. That kid's going to be a stud. He's going to be on his way. Oh, yeah. I'll have to keep an yeah. eye out for him. Absolutely. He's a big boy, too. Big glasses wearing guy. I like it. Yeah. Okay. Moving on to Fort Wayne. And uh, I got to give a shout out to the folks at Mad Friars. Thank uh, you. These, these daily and weekly recaps, uh, we take a lot of, we, we borrow a lot of content from them and they do some excellent writing. Uh, and I love this. So strike one, Tuesday, the tin caps had the cheat code at the plate. I love that. Uh, Brandon Valenzuela. That was me. Was- I actually put that in. There. Oh, you put that in? <laughs> yes. All right. Uh, Everything Brandon else Val- is them. Brandon Valenzuela was a triple shy of the cycle and hit a grand slam going three for five. Bobby Barrels or Robert Hassel III hit his first double of the season and had a single, finishing the day with an RBI and two runs scored. He's hitting a cool 400 in his first 10 games of the season. Joshua Mears put his own stamp on the game with three extra base hits, including a mammoth solo home run in the eighth inning. Is there any home run that he hits that isn't a mammoth home run? Right. It's either a moonshot or a laser beam. I have yet to see him get a cheap one. Uh, the top of the scale power that the Washingtonian possesses has pushed his early season slugging percentage up to 667. Perhaps more importantly, after a flurry of strikeouts in his first week, Mears has caged just four times in his last four games to lower his strikeout percentage to 37.2%. Adam Smith started and is stretched out to three innings. Through his first two innings, Midwest League uh, hitters are just three for 19 against the righty. I guess that means in his third inning, he hasn't been doing so well. Uh, Felix Minjares nailed down the win in relief, adding to his gaudy strikeout totals. The former University of Redlands right-hander now has 13 strikeouts across just five and (laughs) two-thirds innings. Ryan Auk converted his second career save opportunity with a pair of clean innings. Now, I happened to go to one of the last ball games played at uh, Lancaster Park. It was a, a postseason game, and Felix Majares was with the storm, and he had a whole bunch of people there. All these, all these college guys were cheering right. for him. I'm like, hey, what are you, are you guys? Are you guys family? Are you friends? Oh no, we all play baseball together at University of Redlands, which is right around the corner there. And Lancaster, that is no longer because there's just no, there's just because of minor league <sighs> contraction. Yeah, it's and too that bad because prob- it's that was a nice park. It wasn't bad. It wasn't bad, but now it's the one that's the field where the wind's blowing out 99% of the time. And it's usually uh, at gale force winds 
So, you know, pitchers just got rocked. Right. Yeah. And on that note, in San Antonio, they were in uh, they were playing in Amarillo yesterday. And I think the game started with a 23 mile an hour wind at first pitch and it wound up like 19 to 10. We'll have that later on in the yeah. banana stuff goes on. (laughs) So and and Josh Mears has hit two shots tonight. So the kid is finally, you know, starting to find that power swing uh, pretty consistently now. Oh, yeah. So the strike three, the chin caps is an eighth inning grand slam from Justin Lopez. Oh, sorry about that. Strike two. Friday night, right-handed starting pitcher Ryan Berger breezed through four innings on Friday night, allowing just one run in the Fort Wayne Tank Caps loss. Berger struck out five batters, walked none, and didn't allow a batter to reach base until there was two outs in the top of the fourth inning. Tank Caps once again had a chance at a late comeback. Barbell has the third, used his speed to put pressure on the defense and forced an error with one out in the ninth. Because Hassel singled back in the fourth inning, the error meant that the outfielder has reached base safely multiple times in every game this season. He is just, you know, it, when he got when he got called up last year, um, and he kind of had the struggles, then he hit the three bombs in one game. Like, okay, that's that can happen, or you know, that's fine. Uh, he continued to struggle. So coming in this year, you're, you're wondering if he's going to continue to struggle and then maybe find his footing. He has got out of the gate. I've watched several of those at bats. I haven't quite got my my minor league watching yet. My MILB TV uh, schedule down yet, but the games that I've watched him, he is incredibly comfortable, and he is choosing the pitches that he hits, and he doesn't mind going the opposite field as well. I saw somewhere he admitted that after he had that three home run game, he got a little homer happy for a while, which is totally understandable. Yeah, even major leaguers get that way. For sure. Okay, so strike three. The Tin Caps used an eighth inning grand slam from Justin Lopez to win the series against the rivals from South Bend. The switch hitting infielder hit 357, 438, 786 with a double and a triple to go with his homer. Lopez started the season on the San Antonio roster, but was moved back to Fort Wayne after Eurebiel Angeles was traded to the A's in the Sean Manaya deal. Lopez has some power and is good defensively, but he's generally struggled to get on base throughout his time in the system. If Lopez... Lopez can refine his approach. He's an interesting guy to watch. And he's one of those people that when you're watching everybody doing their, doing their warmups, he stands out to you. He just, he looks like a ball player. His motions are so fluid. He looks like he should be so good at everything. And then you watch him during the game and it's like, man, when's this guy going to figure it out? Right. Absolutely. And, and he was back there. He was part of the 2016 massive signings. If I wasn't correct. Correct. Oh, and on that note, uh, today, old friend Gabriel Arias made his major league debut. I watched the first at bat. Oh, yeah. The Cleveland Guardians called him up and what he got hit by a pitch. His first at bat. He uh, well, first at bat, he grounded up to second. They they scored. The Guardians scored 10 runs. Right. He got on by an error. That's right. Yeah. It was fielder's choice. Okay. Yeah, that, that that well, that in that inning was just so bad for Chicago. There were like three errors in the in the inning, and literally they scored I think ten runs, and the Guardians scored ten runs against uh, Keuchel. Uh, I think eight eight. So then the next guy came in, and they just were um, even Austin Hedges got a hit. It was amazing. Holy um, cow! Did you see him trip over his bat? No, <laughs> I did <laughs> earlier in the week. Yes, but yeah, he laid down a bunt and then trips over his own bat. Oh my god! Um, he was playing second base. He ended up getting his first major league hit later on in that game after I started watching the Padre game. But it's good to see friend of the podcast and watch him. You know, Padre fans, you guys watch that kid. He's a great kid. I think he's going to be an impact player. Um, you know, he's going to be an everyday player in the major leagues for the Guardians. I think for years to come. 
Yeah, what I saw when he was in like Elsinore was a guy he had he had the power, he had the bat control, he had all that stuff. He needed to kind of get out of his own way. He was so hyper aggressive that he's right. swinging at stuff he shouldn't be swinging right. at. And he would let something bother him. You know, he would get burned on a strike three call they didn't agree with, and right. it would follow him out onto the field. And it's yeah. the, the maturity that has to come. But he's got amazing instincts. Yeah. He has one of the best shortstop arms you're going to see anywhere. And he's going to be a good player. Yeah. And uh, just a little funny note. When uh, after... So him and Tatis got dreads on the same day at the same time um, oh. and they carried him through spring training. But then once he made it to uh, Lake Elsinore, that was like my first question was like, what happened to the dreads? He's like, oh, it gave me a headache. Okay. They're so I guess they're so tight. Um, yeah, yeah. But we wish him nothing but the best. Uh, Owen Miller and Cal Quantrill, I think, are all going to be in the injured list. So when we see the guard the pod, we see the Guardians in the next next week or two weeks from now, uh, those guys might be out. That's too bad that Owen Miller hit the the IL because boy has he been on a tear! Holy yeah, smokes! Absolutely. So let's move on to San Antonio. A strike one outfielder and system wide speedster Robbie Podorski played in four games and continued to do what he always does: hit and get on base. The fleet fitted outfielder hit four fifty five, five hundred six thirty six with a pair of doubles in the series. The former twenty fifth round pick has a three twenty four batting average in one hundred ninety four games. 194 career games, excuse me. He doesn't possess much power, but he has been a very steady player when he's been able to avoid injuries. Estuvi Ruiz did his part offensively, but the hitter, hitters behind him were signing up for much of last week. Ruiz walked nine times in 25 plate appearances and stole seven bases on his way to a fantastic 313, 593, 438 slash line. In addition to the spark at the top of the lineup, Ruiz struck out just three times in 25 plate appearances through the first two weeks of the season. Ruiz is third in the league with a WRC plus of 218. His 10 walks are tied with the league lead, and he is atop the Texas league leaderboard in stolen bases with seven. If he changes his, if he changes in play discipline are for real, Ruiz could regain his status as a prize prospect. He is still just 22 and he has enough raw power to play in the big league outfield. I think it was John Conniff that pointed out that there's been a little bit of a mechanical change. He's shortened his swing a little bit, yeah. which allows him to start just a moment later, yeah. which allows you to be a little more selective with, with pitches. Yeah. Okay. So on Tuesday on, on strike two on Thursday, the chunk lost punch out 17 batters, but lost Osvaldo Hernandez made his second start of the season for the flying chunk glass in his first start on opening night. He recorded just one out while allowing seven runs yeah, it was tonight. A Tonight, he struck out the side. However, he did still allow one earned run. Hernandez ran into some more trouble in the second inning. Despite striking out two more batters, he allowed a second run to score. Hernandez, after throwing 52 pitches in the first two innings, was relieved by Moises Lugo heading into the, the third inning. Moises Lugo was dominant for the Chonkless as he, he tossed two and two-thirds scoreless innings with five strikeouts. He was pulled in the fifth inning after allowing a walk and a single. Um, and then the pitching lines, Osvaldo Hernandez, no decision, two innings pitch, two hits, two earned runs, three walks, five strikeouts. Corey Howell, number 15 Padres prospect who they just acquired recently. Yeah. Over three with a stolen base, a walk, a strikeout, an error, and two ground into double plays. Holy cow, what a bad day. Uh, and Tirso Ornelas, one for three with the run scored and is batting 308 in his first season in the Texas League. And he just hit his first home run of the season the other day. 
Nice. Augusto uh, Augustin, yeah, yeah. Uh, 0 for 3 with two strikeouts. Um, and then on Friday, the missions placed Osvaldo Hernandez on the seven-day injured list with an undisclosed injury. Uh, right-handed pitcher Mason Fox was promoted to San Antonio from Fort Wayne. Uh, there was no corresponding move for Fort Wayne. They have 29 active players currently. Yeah. Uh, so strike three, uh, Tuesday, there was a combined 29 run scored at what no one would consider a pitching duel. <laughs> Oh, Estrue Ruiz's six-inning Grand Slam gave the visiting missions what seemed like a comfortable 8-2 to two lead. Unfortunately, the Sod Poodles would counter with 17 runs over the final three innings to roll to victory in Hostown and Amarillo. And Amarillo. No lead is safe in Amarillo. No, no Amarillo. Uh, the 23-year-old Dominican appears to have made swing adjustments, and the results have followed. Brandon Dixon enjoyed his best game in a missions uniform, launching a pair of home runs. The 30-year-old was signed by the Padres on March 18th, after spending his 2021 campaign with the Rakuten Golden Eagles in Japan. Tercio Ronellis is off to a solid start in his first double-A stint. The Tijuana Mexico native, I might as well call him a San Diego native as well, uh, hit his first home run of the campaign, adding a pair of singles for good measure. The now 22-year-old is one of the few remnants of the Herald of the 2016 international signing class, along with his San Antonio teammate, Augustin Ruiz, who rounded out the office with a career-high tying four-hit performance. The effort nearly doubled Ruiz's batting average from 176 to 318. And all of this gave Moser, who scattered two earned runs across four and two-thirds innings. The 25-year-old has a respectable 3.72 ERA through two starts in the Texas League. Now, Gabe isn't known as, you know, as a power pitcher. He absolutely relies on control and finesse and that gnarly curveball that he has. Yep. All right, moving on to El Paso. Uh, the Mad Friars Pitcher of the Week for the week ending April 17th was right-handed pitcher Jesse Schultens of El Paso. And by the way, I like that they do this. Now that everybody's on the same schedule, so the whole minor league org has Monday off. Yeah. On Monday, uh, the guys put their heads together at Mad Friars and they say who their players of the week are for every level. And it's it's yeah. it's probably my favorite article of the week outside of some of the interviews they do. Okay, so Schultens, age 28, started Thursday night and pitched five scoreless innings in a game El Paso ultimately won. The former ninth rounder scattered just three hits while walking one and striking out a season-high six batters. The six-foot-four right-hander is in El Paso for a third stint, and thus far the results have been sparkling. Schultens is not allowed to run in his first 12 innings in 2022 while averaging a strikeout per inning. He's currently not on the 40-man roster, but if he continues to perform capably, he could be a candidate to make his big league debut at some point this season. And like I was saying earlier, you can look at the depth charts, and there's like a dozen guys you can point at and go, I could see this guy making a contribution at some point. Right. And 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 the guy like Jesse Schultons, you you can see that the development isn't linear. And then if you stick with it and you have the stuff, you know, eventually you're going to get recognized. And I guarantee he I bet you he makes an appearance in the major leagues this year. And he's 28. Mm-hmm. And he hasn't stiffed the major since, you know. So guys like that, you know, they came in with spring training and he's been with the major league team in spring training going on the past three or four years, I be- I believe. Um right. And I had a conversation with David Miller, with Evan Miller's dad, that they didn't have the rule five draft. And so there are people that might have had an opportunity to go to a team like Baltimore or, you know, one of the teams that they know they're not going to contend, but they take a flyer on somebody. So you might see you might have seen an Evan Miller or a Jesse Schultz picked up to get stashed on the bench somewhere and see what they've got. Um, But I could see next year's rule five is going to be real interesting to watch guys like that. 
Oh, my God. And Tennessee will right in the strike, too. Wednesday, Aaron Leisure allowed just one run in five innings to earn his first AAA win. Leisure has allowed three runs in his first nine innings pitch this season. Matthew Batten reached base three times in El Paso's leadoff spot Wednesday and had three consecutive multi-hit games. Trace Thompson went two for four and homered in his first two road games and his first two home games of the season. Trace Thompson was one of those. Well, Matthew Batten has been in the system for just as long as Jesse Schultz has, I believe. And Trace Thompson, we just signed as a minor league deal this year, right? Right, right. And all he's done is hit home runs in El Paso. Right. My goodness. Right. Okay, so finally, strike three. On Thursday, Adderlin Rodriguez hit a game-ending three-run home run in the bottom of the ninth inning. Rodriguez also hit a three-run homer in the first inning, kind of nice bookends, and finished the game two for five with six RBIs, the first six RBI game by a Chihuahua's batter since Michael Geddes on June 28, 2019. The walk-off home run was El Paso's first since Patrick Kivlihan's game-ending Grand Slam on June 25, 2021. Luis Campusano and Taylor Colway both had three hits in the win. Campusano is now slashing 471, 500, 588. Eggy Rosario led off the bottom of the first inning with a home run, which was the first time the Chihuahuas led off a game with a home run since Tucupita Marcano on July 4th, okay. 2021. Uh, Jesse Schultens pitched five shutout innings and hasn't allowed a run in 12 innings this season. Yeah. Norso, all that we haven't talked about Luis Camposano. No, he's it's everybody else is just overperforming right now. Right. I feel like you got all these guys off to these hot starts. So meanwhile, Campusano is just kind of hanging back there, hitting, hitting doubles, spraying doubles all over the yeah. park. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, he's, he's we're not talking about him because the major league team is doing stuff right. and we're not missing him because Aaron Nola's or Austin Nola's hitting well yeah. and everybody's excited about Jorge Alfaro. So maybe that gives Camposano a little bit of room to just kind of relax and do his thing and, and finish, finish developing as a major league catcher. Right. Not having to press anything and not applying to that pressure of like, I got to do this so I can make it to the big league team. Uh, just go out and do your business. You know, it's funny having Evan Nola lead off. Like he's had some really good at bats. He's had a couple of really good pinch hits where he just smacked the ball, but he smacked it right to people. And these past couple of times that he has let off, um, he has been the spark plug, getting on base, you know, hitting a single, being on base when Manny hits the bombs. Yeah, the last two games, it was yeah. <laughs> Tommy Fam, Tommy effing Fam. It's a home guy. run. Oh, jeez. It. <laughs> he hits a home run the first inning of both games. And then the bottom of the inning, Nola gets on and Machado hits a home run. It was so strange seeing those two lines put up next to each other. Uh, but yeah, was- it's been interesting seeing Nola hit second. So yeah. often you don't see your catcher hitting second very often. No. So that's it for the, for the first kind of full week of minor league baseball that we've had on an affiliate rundown. Yeah. So now I'm heading out of town. We're going to Las Vegas for the weekend, coming back on Monday. So we're going to catch a couple of games at the aviators ballpark. We're going to go see the chihuahuas and I'm going to go meet Finn, the bat dog. I'm very excited about meeting Finn, the bat dog. Don't forget to get uh, Meredith wills, any baseballs that you can. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I'll be on the lookout. Nice. And so you can find me on Twitter at SD Donovan. I am at Zippy underscore TMS. Till then, go Padres. Let's go Padres. Padres.